hip hop did save my life from a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like my um, only natural inclination is to repay it the only way I know how by giving my time and my energy um, to spread uh, what a positive impact it's had on me and what kind of impact it can have on other people. Hello and welcome to episode one of Everything But Music. Today I'm talking with my very good friend, Mark Ruiz, who's getting his doctorate in psychology. And he's going to talk to us about his research and his work using hip hop in a therapeutic situation, therapeutic setting. Hip hop therapy. We get into a little bit of the social dilemma and the impact uh, of social media on all of our lives today. And of course, the impact of COVID and how we can take better care of ourselves during this very, very trying time. Before we get started, I want to make sure that I remind you to subscribe, to like, to share, because there will be very, very many more episodes coming your way here at Everything But Music. So as someone who studies mental health, what are some things, and I want to expand this just in general to the things people are going through right now with the pandemic and we have the election coming up and, you know, regardless what side you're on or where in that spectrum you fall, this this election has to be one of the most traumatic, you know, maybe not in history, but in recent memory. You know, like there's so much animosity, uncertainty, misinformation, you know, that exponentially amplified by the pandemic and all the economic stuff, everything everyone's going through. And also just the lack of safety, right? I mean, going outside, you always have to have this worry in the back of your mind, damn, am I going to catch a potentially fatal illness? You know, mm-hmm. And of course, you can go on YouTube and you can find a ton of videos of people talking about, wow, well, you know, actually the virus only kills this many people. Actually, if you supplement vitamin D, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. you still have to go outside with a mask. There's still 30-year-olds dying. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's scary, man. So as someone who studies mental health and 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 you have all this experience working with youth in the in the bay area man how are you seeing all this and how can we how can we create better routines for ourselves how can we create i mean for me it's like routines of self-care you know that you and i as, as we talked about before we didn't grow up with that kind of mentality you know we grew up with you know you work and you make money and you work until you drop and that's really what it is there was no self-care you know yeah. like there was no check-in how are you feeling you know yeah, no. Uh, it's very, it's very kind of grind culture, um, which is still prevalent today. It's, it's, it's gotten a little bit better because notions like self-care have emerged, but, um, yeah, you and I grew up in a very kind of grind, uh, culture 24 seven, just hit the books, hit the craft, hit whatever. So that way you make a lot of money and you can provide for a family or you can get that, you know, uh, spouse or that particular somebody that you were looking at. Um, Yeah. Um, that's going to be another episode of immigrant mentality. Like we totally, totally. Um, but I will say the the disclaimer with COVID is that it's it's basically an an international trauma that we're all experiencing. Mm. You know, I mean, it's not relegated to one state, not one country, not one continent. Like it, it's hit all of us, all of us as people on an international scale, mm-hmm. and. Even before COVID, we were all so varied with individual differences of, you know, uh, culture, upbringing, socioeconomic status, uh, you know, health conditions, generational traumas, um, mm. 
levels of oppression, you know what I mean? And that came still into play when COVID impacted. And in fact, um, you know, those factors either helped or exacerbated how much impact how much uh, COVID was going to impact you. And it still impacts people to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anything, um, I would first, you know, advise, uh, you know, and again, take it with a grain of salt. Again, I emphasize my, my role as a graduate student um, in clinical psychology. Um, if what I say works well for you, great. Um, hope it works well, best of luck. If it doesn't work well, um, great figure out how it might be how you could tweak it so that way it fits better for you you know i'm I'm just hoping that some of this might be able to help some of this might be able to resonate uh, or and get you get whoever is listening to this into some sort of direction um but first we got to take a situational awareness right um because i'm not going to presume how COVID is impacting you who's looking at this beyond you have to stay at home whatever that means you have to stay indoors um, so got to take a situational awareness of things. What is, how have you been impacted? What do you feel like you need at the moment? Um, whether that's financial help, whether that's, um, a way to connect, whether that's, um, uh, reaching out to your local grocery store, getting some food. I don't know. You know what I mean? But first getting a, an inventory about you, what, how this pandemic has impacted you and what you feel like you need. Um, I'll put that ball in your court. Um, I've emphasized before, um, especially now uh, where uh, we've had to isolate for a long time, uh, connect, really connect with people, especially if you're going through it. Um, I know that there might be some anxiety, some guilt, some shame around whatever situation you might be going through. My heart goes out to you because we're all going through it. Um, but the worst, one of the worst feelings like I've personally experienced is going through just uh, a whole bunch of stress and no one knowing a freaking clue. Mm. No one seeing your, your suffering or your pain or your stress. And in fact, they're expecting you to perform at, you know, whatever expectation that they have for you. So. <sighs> One of the biggest things that one of my best supervisors gave me was, if you're going through something, tell somebody. Mm-hmm. You don't have to tell them what you're going through. You don't have to get into the content and get into the backstories and all that, but at least let someone know that you're going through something. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. maybe ask for a little patience and compassion, not just of other people, but of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we're all going through a collective trauma and, um, we can't expect that our work level uh, won't take a hit as well as other domains of our life. So really we're all gonna have to eat some humble pie um, because COVID is that humbling. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well as also taking situational awareness of yourself, right? Um, kind of simple questions like, have you gotten any sleep? Like, What's your sleep pattern like? Uh, are you sleeping at a normal time? Uh, are you eating good food? Are you eating junk food? I know a lot of folks have kind of opted out for fast food these days just because it's quick and we got to stay working and you could get it delivered and all that. But are you eating really stuff that's good for you? It's comforting. Uh, it's comforting. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's comforting. Right. Big old quarter pounder, whatever, chicken sandwich in the middle of the night where you're not feeling that good. 
Facts, man. I'll go for some in and out well done fries. Hell yeah, oh. sign me up. <laughs> I'm about to go get that right now. Right. <laughs> but and at the same time, you know, as much as I love the short term pleasure of that, it's the long term gain. Mm-hmm. How am I going to feel after all this? Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, yeah, like that burger is going to feel great, but then I'll feel sluggish. I, I won't feel motivated. Then I won't get my stuff done. And mm-hmm. then I'll feel shitty because I won't get my stuff done. Then I'll feel bad. And then I'll feel anxious because folks were expecting me to get stuff done. It just turns into this vicious cycle, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also another thing is, is within this, um, develop this awareness of, yourself um and develop you know that understanding of what you need especially if you know you had alluded to this whole grind culture um that we grew up with Uh, that was based on that whole idea of whatever you were feeling that came up that wasn't equal to work was just a complaint you were whining um you know what i mean rather than kind of taking space and actually listening to you know do you need sleep did you eat? Mm-hmm. Have you drinking enough water today? Mm-hmm. How long have you been sitting in front of that computer? Now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, cause I'll, I'll tell you, like I was part of that grind culture and then I hit burnout and I'll tell you for any person that's been grinding, the worst thing you want to hit is burnout because you'll be burnt out for weeks, mm-hmm. months, and all that time you didn't spend taking care of yourself will now be taken in this big chunk of time that you now have to force yourself to take right and practically speaking that work doesn't go away if you're burnt out or not so now mm-hmm. the quality of the work goes down you know mm-hmm. and it's that's something that basically all throughout my 20s i i kind of ignored not throughout my a large part of my 20s especially my early 20s it was all you know not, i mean no sleeping i used to think that oh you know all-nighters is a sign of you putting in the work that you need to put in you're going to be ahead of the competition you know being a musician there was always these stories of these musicians that practice all this much. And I don't, I don't think, is it Terrence? Who is it? Some musician, uh, something to the extent of every minute that you're asleep, there's another musician that's getting that much time ahead of you or something to that extent, you know, like every minute you're not working, someone else is going to have that much more ahead of you in terms of work. That's such, it wasn't until recently that I started saying, you know what, man, that can't be good for you. You know, and, if it's three, if it's four o'clock in the morning and I haven't slept in two days, that practice time can't be that good. You know, like whatever comes out of that, not to mention that you, you really learn in REM sleep, right? Like that's when all of that stuff that you're learning gets really solidified in your mind and in your body. Okay. If you're not giving yourself that REM sleep, then screw learning. You're not going to learn anything. Right. And, me, and your body actually, when you get into that REM sleep, that's where your body goes through its most recovery mm-hmm. um, is during that REM sleep. It's that stage where, everything goes offline and your body goes, all right, guys, like, let's, all right, folks, let's do an overhaul. Let's, let's, uh, let's fix up that bruise over here. I mean, let's, uh, let's flush out all the toxins here while all this is like going down. So that way, you know, the brain can just kind of focus on flushing everything out and taking care of yourself. And psychologically Um, speaking, how important is REM sleep for, I don't know, uh, dealing with emotions, right? I mean, I know when I wasn't really focusing on my emotional self-care, again, in my early 20s, man, I I don't know how people dealt with me, you know, like I was like a ball of, you know, I don't even know what, you know, and it felt like looking back, maybe I just wasn't sleeping enough. And I wasn't taking care of myself enough. And, you know, what I, I mean? can't, 
I can't speak for everyone, but I can share my own personal experience, um, which has really kind of humbled my, uh, the, the importance of sleep on me, which is um, when I wasn't getting not just, uh, not just enough sleep, but enough expected sleep. Mm. Um, we often make this mistake where we get eight hours, but it's like one night is from 12 to eight. And then the other night it's from nine to five. And then the next night it's like, you sleep early and it's from like seven until uh, three o'clock and then you're up, you know what I mean? It's like your body needs to be on a sort of routine. It needs to expect, you know, it needs to know what to expect on the daily. So that way it can handle all the unique stuff like a sickness mm. or uh, uh, this new food or something or another. It can take it like seriously. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, it can really notice, oh, that, that, that's a little bit out of normal. Let's focus our attention on that because that seems random. Um, but yeah, it needs to, am I, I, w I was guilty of that where I was getting a good amount of sleep. If you ask me, yeah, I, I was getting eight hours, but it wasn't predictable. Mm -hmm. And then my body was out of whack. It didn't know when it was nap time and when it wasn't, right? I would end up getting tired earlier or I would end up staying up all night. Mm -hmm. And then that had impacts on my sleep, which had impacts on the way that I was receiving everything. I became sluggish. I didn't want anyone to talk to me. Anyone mm -hmm. that did, I was just kind of really irritable and snappy. Like it was, it was bad. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. bad. Um, our body needs that, uh, needs that rest. It needs that recovery time. So you mentioned connecting, you mentioned, uh, situational or situational awareness, essentially taking inventory of everything going on in your situation, but also everything going on within you. It seems like mental health and therapy has also lost its stigma a little bit. And I think that's so important, man. And it's such a good, if there's, an, if there's been any silver lining in all of this COVID stuff and lockdown, it feels like it's been the availability of mental health services, you know, the stigma of like, oh, you need to shrink, you're broken. That feels like that's going away little by little you know, and, and actually in a very big way, you know, it's starting to loosen up a bit, right? I just saw a, a, a commercial for a headspace or a calm. Mm -hmm. It was one of those uh, uh, meditation apps. Mm -hmm. It was kind of one of those do nothing for like the next 15 seconds. And I stopped. I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot. I didn't, I haven't done like nothing for like 15 seconds and just chilled. Um, yeah. I'm, I personally, obviously as a mental health worker, I'm, uh, I'm biased. I, I like the idea that talks about mental health and the, the, the psyche is coming up. Um, and also um, that uh, spaces are being held to talk about this, talk about emotions and whatnot, especially for um, you know men, women, folks of color, um, all these different spaces where folks can really bring in their stressors and connect with folks. Because um, once again, if you're going through something, tell somebody. Mm -hmm. um, as much as uh, your your as much anxiety or as much shame as you feel, oh, you know, folks might have this narrative of, oh, you know, my problem is so unique and you know, no one really knows. And you know, heaven forbid if you've experienced any sort of traumatic relationship where that you know kind of support wasn't reciprocated, um, or maybe you were shamed in kind of uh, disclosing your feelings or what. Um, again, that's part of the situational awareness that I would refer on, right? Like you had talked about uh, diet, right? Um, but a common you know, factor that really stops diet is financial, right? Mm -hmm. So um, again, going back to that situational awareness, if you're 
if you're trying to get better with your diet, like you, know, you need money and how are you going to get money? You know what I mean? It's, it, it becomes a bigger conversation. Right. Um, and again, just emphasizing that, that time of connection, because I'm glad to see, at least within um, the Bay Area, different organizations and different individual citizens really stepping up um, and uh, providing um, with no intention of getting anything back. Mm. Uh, it's been uh, really an outpouring uh, that has warmed my heart because um, you, know, you get to see people that are just really wanting to help their, their community out. So I would emphasize connect and let someone know you're going through stuff because not only will you, you know, kind of feel better uh, potentially uh, in sharing kind of your feelings with someone else and maybe, you know, they can also share their feelings. But if they know somebody who knows somebody who could help you out, um, you know, that connection doesn't get established unless you reach out. Mm-hmm. And I know it's, especially for folks who might be a little ashamed of their situation, I know it's hard to connect. Um, and at the same time, that's the only way where you might be able to get some support is if you try and reach out to connect. And there are people and hotlines that are being established today um, that are willing to uh, hear folks out. I work now in San Francisco County um, and the school district actually provided kind of a general um, county resource line where families and students can call in, anyone can call into this line and be connected uh, or be referred to different community-based organizations around the Bay Area, dependent on somebody's need. So instead of having to go through Craigslist or Google or having to do your own search, like you'll call them up and they can do that work for you. What has gotten me through a lot of this is just being able to pick up the phone and talk to somebody I know, I trust, you know, who cares about me, good friends, you know, people like you that I can just call and just, hey, man, what's going on? Nothing, absolutely nothing is going on. How are you doing? I just need to talk to somebody, you know, something like that. You know, it's so meaningful, so powerful. Mm -hmm. And it takes it's it's interesting that it takes a pandemic like COVID for us to, to really understand and really be grateful for that at a level where we're like, Yes, like I, 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 I'm glad that you called. Like, let's talk. Is there an intention? Nah, let's just catch up. You know, what I mean, that's our intention. Let's see how each other's doing. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's really allowed um, us to to value the importance of human communication and connecting mm-hmm. with one another um, in a real and authentic way. Um, especially, you know, kind of going back to this whole kind of grind culture and. Like, you know, it's it's it, it's also implicated that the grind culture is very individualistic, mm. very like I'm going to grind, I'm going to get in. No one is going to stand in my way. Mm-hmm. But you know, if anything that this pandemic has shown us is that we need each other, y'all. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. do. Um, and I know it's difficult. I mean, some folks have traumatic relationships and whatnot, but um, you know there may be someone and this might be you know, your reach out um, who'd be willing to hear you out, uh, whether that's someone in your close kin, uh, whether that's one of your friends, whether that's a mentor, um, whether that's a, a crisis text hotline mm-hmm. um, that you picked up from a card. Um, there's someone that's always willing to hear you out. It, it reminds me of this one quote, um, I saw when I still had a Facebook, which is, um, if you're feeling suicidal, um, please just call me and tell me. 
I'd rather want to hear your story than hear your funeral. So inventory of your situation, inventory of yourself, reach out. What else? What else would you say? I mean, uh, connect and just make a move. You know, um, the one of the kind of cliche quotes that I've heard, but it's really kind of ringing true is um, action beats indecision. Mm. You know, and action beats depression. You know, um, that, oh that's kind God, of so huge. Action yeah. beats depression. That's so yeah. huge, man. You know, um, it's so powerful. Yeah, yeah, and, and these actions, it doesn't, you know, because I know, and I've worked with folks who have been clinically depressed, and that action doesn't have to be this big, grandiose thing. That's part of the situational awareness that I'm telling folks about. Like, if you have been at home since the pandemic and you have done nothing but stay in bed, your big action might be just taking a foot out. You don't even have to get out of the whole bed. But if you can just manage to, you know, set yourself low enough to feel a little achievement in making that goal, well, maybe you'll want to try just a little bit more. See how that feels. Right? Um, also as well, I mean, that, that rings, you know, this whole kind of idea towards action kind of rings true for me in terms of my anxiety and my indecision right it's just like you know at the end of the day i just i have to make a decision i have to act on it regardless of whether i talk myself out of it or if because i've also been on the receiving end where i just let it freeze me mm. and that's the worst feeling that i've had mm -hmm. you know regardless of if i take an action right or wrong worst feeling that i've had was taking no action and mm. i just froze to close up man i want to hear i want you to talk a little bit about uh, your studies, because you do a lot of, and you're, you're, you've sent me some articles about hip hop therapy, which when I was reading this, it was very, very interesting because you mean, you know, in my training, everything is culture and people and how culture is malleable. People are malleable. I mean, my specific studies have to do with intercultural dynamics, which has to do with multiple cultures, you know, specifically, you know, Latin American cultures and culture here in the United States, all this different talk of culture and its ramifications and how it can be used positive positively right most most oftentimes you'll hear a culture like oh so and so culture that culture uh which i find very divisive and what i like about hip-hop therapy is it uses hip-hop culture and music as a way to provide and, and to instill and to make change within people and i thought that's always super powerful right so I was wondering if you couldn't talk a little bit more about that and, and give us a rundown of how it works and, and what you see in it that's so powerful as well. Thank you. Um, I am really excited about my work. Um, I examine specifically, I, I'm, I'm, I'm creating certain research that is examining uh, hip hop and the impact of hip hop, uh, hip -hop cultures, practices and customs um, in uh, more traditional spaces like therapy. Um, specifically, I'm examining um, Filipino uh, and Filipino-American, Philippine X, Philippine X, Pinay, uh, identity development um, in participants of hip hop culture, its customs, its practices, its worldview, its lifestyle, um, because um, hip hop is in a unique sort of area. You've alluded to it before, but it's this worldwide phenomenon that came out of the you know coming straight out of the late 60s going into the early 70s out of new york um from these uh, 
folks who were the marginalized of the marginalized pushed out to the Bronx because of, you know, uh, red redlining and redistricting and all of that being pushed out to the very fringes where no one would, you know, examine their, you know, care about them, where it was really kind of doggy dog and it was devolving into gangs taking care of communities because the police were corrupt. Like it was, it was, it was, uh, the, the looks of it was, it was kind of massacrous or very uh, bloodbathish. But out of that, um, when people were just expecting the worst, came this incredible um, community-based art form, community-based force that just took over the world um, to now what we see today. Um, and kind of its impact on my individual life, because I, um, specifically got into hip hop culture as a b-boy. I was a popper um, for many years, I still am. Um, freestyling in the scene and, and really getting into different battles and understanding the differences in b-boy culture, um, which is again, kind of a facet of hip hop culture. I mean, I'll break this down kind of, a, a, kind of as an umbrella term where we're talking about hip hop culture. We're talking about multiple elements that encompass all of these different cultures and all of these have different intersecting identities based on if you're a man, a woman, if you don't identify on the binary, if you're Asian, if you're black, if you're Puerto Rican, if you're um, gay, if you're straight, like it's, it's all mixed in there. Um, but it's based around, you know, kind of these elements of hip hop where we're talking about MCing or rapping, um, DJing or cutting and mixing, scratching records, um, b-boying where you have the break dancer um and uh, yeah, I can't. oh and the uh aerosol art graffiti artists the taggers mm -hmm. you know what i mean and then the fifth element of hip-hop was it which is knowledge um because this was coming off of the heels of the civil rights movement it was still very infused with that type of uh political awareness and political knowledge um which you know kind of brings back the the quotes of hip-hop being a language for uh, revolution, the mm -hmm. language of the marginalized, the, mm -hmm. the, the outcry, the art form of those who have been marginalized, been um, looked over, been ostracized um, in order to create something beautiful out of their life. Mm -hmm. I know I did. Um, to, for it not to sound, not for it to sound cliche, but for a lack of better term, which you kind of see when you list them off, right? Like there's breaking MC and DJ and graffiti writing and the knowledge, but there's also, or, uh, and uh, beatboxing, but mm -hmm. there's also street knowledge, uh, street language, street fashion, street entrepreneurialism, mm -hmm. these types of things. Like we see um, one of the big examples was uh, the, the Timbaland boot. Oh, right? wow. <laughs> you know I mean? like, at, like that was a regular worker's boot, but mm -hmm. not in hip hop. Yeah. Huh. And now, Timbo's are like freaking like 60 bucks, you know, 120 bucks a pair just because of what hip hop did to it. You know, I mean, it, it just, it turned, it, it influenced everything, even right down to the way we know Hella oh. you know, or Finna. You know, I mean, these type of, these type of different terms that come out of like slang, mm -hmm. which originally um, kind of, it, it has its origins with an African-American and what, you know, um, which credit to you know, the, the African-American youth and the Puerto Rican youth in New York. Hella, is that, Hella came out of New York? I thought Hella, Hella came out of the Bay. Right. Hella's a Bay thing. I have a shirt. Right. That I, I, <laughs> I, 
Hell is a bay thing, but like, you know, it's, it's being, it's that, it's that spirit of being able to take something like the English vocabulary and just flipping it on its head a little bit. Mm. That's that hip hop spirit. It's yeah, man, it's something incredible for sure. You know, as someone who studies this though, what do you have to say? I got to ask you, you know, because of course the first thing that people are going to hear when they hear something like hip hop therapy is, well, you also have this like terrible side to hip hop. And as someone who grew up on, you know, like I love Snoop Dogg, Biggie, Tupac, all of these people, there, there is a lot of violence. There's a lot of negative aspects to the music, right? A lot of negative messaging. So how do we, and how should we think about that? You know, how should we think about this, this aspect that, I mean, you can't really, you can't ignore it. You know, like there's a lot of stuff and especially in the mainstream even more the more recent stuff you know i listen to it and it's in my personal opinion a lot of the poetry that i appreciated with tupac people like tupac and and others has been stripped away you know a lot of the musicality you know when you listen to whatever even gin and juice you know way back in the day if that's even yeah like it's essentially funk music right which is what attracted me a lot to it um but how do we how do we rec- how do we reconcile these you know quote unquote good and bad aspects of the music? Reconciling, I will leave to the individual person to decide because that's their own individual life. But in terms of how to think about it, I would I would you know kind of loosely just kind of recommend that folks look at it comprehensively, right? Because when we're talking about things like hip hop and rap, we often hear that stereotypical part, and that's often the only thing that we hear. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually part of a, a, a nonprofit that really examined and pushed forth against this kind of narrative that hip hop is, is all about drugs and, and guns and women. Um, shout out to Hip Hop for Change out in Oakland. Um, they're doing fantastic stuff talking about hip hop education to the youth, talking them through about like why it is that you see, um, you know, these kind of glamorized images of what, uh, what might be considered kind of quote unquote bad hip hop. Mm-hmm. You know, um, now as a psychologist, though, I'm, you know, one to take pause, right? Because at the same time, I um, don't want to be, I, I don't want to feel like that old hip hop head that's like, oh, you guys don't know real hip hop, real hip hop is this and so and so and so. Because there was a generation before that did that to me, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so my desire my curiosity now is to really sit down and listen if it's not their lyrics maybe it's it's something listening to what they have to say what their moves are mm-hmm. um why they do what they do see this is part of the the, the analyst part of me that goes into okay like it's not exactly what we see but and at the same time is the comprehensive view it's getting so many other people drawn in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right it doesn't draw you in, but why does it draw a stadium full of people who would be willing to pay 60 to $80 to go and see it for like three hours? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? What is it that's pulling them? Right? That's part of the basis of my study right now. Right? We kicked it in the Philippines, right? decided to come over to the West Coast for one, you know, one reason or another, and a good majority of us, for some reason, decided to start scratching some records, start spinning on our heads and start talking in rhymes. Why? Mm-hmm. Just why? 
know what I mean? I'm not looking for a right answer or a wrong answer. I'm just looking for a real answer. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm looking for. Right? Like I can be quick to judge this all as just bad hip hop. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one to pause and going back to an earlier talking point, I'm just wanting to connect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is it that you all trying to do? Come talk to me. I mean, even if it means talking to the, you know, talking to the fans. All right, what is it about this cat? I mean, what do you like about him? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm down to listen. I ain't down to try and judge and evaluate people no more. Mm-hmm. Now, let me hear what you have to say. It's a uh, mixture of um, music therapy, bibliotherapy, because you read um, some of the lyrics and you, at, at, depending on the interventionist, uh, depending on the clinician, um, you might talk about the lyrics, mm-hmm. um, see how it relates to the client. Mm-hmm. Um, you might also create a space for them to start creating their own lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way it can serve as a, so, uh, as a sort of cathartic exercise. Mm-hmm. Or it can just be used as if a person's already writing rhymes, right? Reading them and kind of getting a sense of their worldview. Mm-hmm. How do they string up words together? Because obviously it's in a creative way. Mm-hmm. Right? Otherwise he wouldn't have been able to make it a rhythmic rhyme. Right. right, right. But what else is behind that working brain of yours? Mm-hmm. Right. This uh, is the part of the work that we do as therapists. Mm-hmm. That that creativity aspect is so fascinating, man. Because there's so much agency in creative acts. Period. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I often wonder how much therapy there is if it isn't all completely therapy. You know, when I sit down to write a song or whatever, you know, a lot of it is yes, okay. Well, I know certain compositional techniques. I know certain, you know, if I'm songwriting, I know certain techniques in terms of songwriting. I know certain structures I can follow. And that's the technical aspect. But then there's also very much the the therapy of creating, you know, Mm -hmm. and I would wonder how how much of that is at work in anything, right? And how much of that can be used in different ways. So in this specific specific context, we have, like you said, bibliotherapy. Is that right? Is that the term? Mm -hmm. Bibliotherapy, music therapy, all this different kind of stuff. I wonder if it can also be used for other types of therapy, like, I don't know, like drawing, right? Something as simple as drawing, you know, but it can be so fun. I used to love it when I was a kid, you know? This is my hope, and I'm glad glad you brought it here. I'm so glad you brought it here, because this is my hope about hip-hop therapy in general, is because when people often think about hip-hop therapy, they just focus on the rap, Mm. right? They just focus on the MC element. Mm -hmm. But hip-hop is a worldwide culture. Mm -hmm. It's not just rap. It's b-boying, it's aerosol art, it's DJing, it's, mm-hmm. it's street fashion, all of which has, you know, in one way or another, at least, you know, at least for fashion that I'm aware of and, um, and b-boying and aerosol art and fashion, um, they have their own um, psychological literature and uh, articles showing therapeutic benefit for, you know, uh, certain people who wanted to run like pilot programs mm-hmm. um, based off of hip hop practices. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I remember one study comes to mind where um, a client did a therapeutic art expressive activity designing a jean jacket, like one of those gang jean jackets, because um, she saw that um, within hip hop culture and wanted to kind of like make her own. Mm-hmm. You know, but in there she got to um, develop kind of her own personality and her own um, her own persona and her own sense of authenticity, um, and walk out of that project with a more firm sense of self that mm-hmm. they can take with them. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the things that 
I hope that hip hop therapy can be broadened into because if, if hip hop is a culture, you know, and, and you know, they're, they've been so gracious to give us one element to work with, what can we do if they allow us to, you know, work with all of the elements of hip hop? How that- much therapy, um, you know, uh, the hip hop community, you know, whoever would be, um, you know, I'm not sure. Um, mm. I'm just, you know, a person who's hoping that uh, folks can see the therapeutic benefit of what hip hop has brought for a lot of people, myself mm. included. It's a fantastic thing. Hip hop is, is maturing and uh, um, something that everyone has taken a look at and everyone is really understanding how much it can impact, um, how much it has impacted um, the world and how much it can continue to impact um, our future generations. That was my good friend, Mark Ruiz. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to connect with Mark, if you want to follow his research, his handles will be in the show notes. Be sure to connect with him if you have any kind of questions regarding mental health or hip-hop therapy. What he's doing, I find to be extremely, extremely meaningful. And I'm just so happy to have him here on the podcast and share his amazing insights and his work with you all. Be sure to subscribe, to like. We are on Instagram at Everything But Music Podcast. I'm on Twitter at DF Costa. Be sure to send me a message directly on either of those platforms if you want to request a guest, if you want me to talk to somebody. Remember, this podcast is here for you all. So be sure to let me know who you want me to talk to. As always, these interviews are posted in their entirety on our YouTube account. That's Everything But Music Podcast on YouTube. That channel has all of the interviews, all of the episodes completely, along with audio and video supplemental materials that we went over with the guests. So be sure to watch the full videos there on YouTube. We are on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud with these shorties, which is what you're listening to right now. I want to send a big thanks to Mark Ruiz for being episode number one of the Everything But Music podcast. I want to send an even bigger thanks to all of you listening and a big thanks to all of our Patreon supporters who are supporting this podcast and making this podcast a reality. If nothing else, I'll see you all at the next one. Be safe, be kind, and take care of yourselves.